Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Just like that, the second hour is here. Hot Mike with Hunting Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network for Hot Mike. Chad, our goal each and every day. Push Have our through. listeners, viewers, push we get through. To, we get you to six o'clock. Get each. to the finish line. We get you to six o'clock. Get each. you there, enjoying life, feeling good about things. We want the fastest three hours through your workday. If you're listening, if you're watching, uh, hey, by the way, if you're watching, uh, possibly uh, on demand on YouTube, we say thank you. We hope you'll join us live so you can chat with Chad. I'd feel a lot better if we freshened up that photo that leads into the show of both of us. Uh, those you're photos, not a fan of those it? photos were taken with uh, someone who no longer works here, who also is not a photographer. <laughs> Took those photos of us, and we were in you, New you, York City taking professional you photos. You make it sound like the guy was we fired got, because he took those photos. Hutton, we got hair and makeup. Yeah, it wasn't because of those photos, although maybe it should have been. Um, <laughs> we got professional <laughs> hair and makeup was done in New York City for photos that run during the breaks, I think, at times. But the longest time that videos are up, is the the preview of the show. And it's photos that were done months ago. We gotta freshen that up. Chad coming up, Billy Lucci. That's, that's my assignment to the crew. Owner of Texags.com. Uh, from College Station. He's here in town covering all things Southeastern Conference. And out of the gate, we're gonna ask him about the relationship between Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino. Because Jimbo is at the podium today saying Man, he wouldn't commit to who's going to be calling plays. It's odd considering Bobby Petrino's calling plays. And then he ended it by saying, we hope he calls games and gives suggestions. Yeah. Uh, Billy Lucci. There's... Well, no. He was also backstage at Blink-182 last night. Yeah, we can can talk about Blink-182 since I was there as well. Uh, Ania Smith, the, the wide receiver, also was asked about Bobby Petrino and calling plays. Yeah. And he gave some sort of vague answer about how both those guys are so calm when calling plays and they'll work great together and did not would not say who's who's calling plays. They we'll also, get into all of it with Billy Lucci. Also did not bring a quarterback to media days to make the rounds. That's intriguing because that's been an issue. There's only for the five Aggies. quarterbacks of the of the fourteen yeah, teams there, only five quarterbacks at Media Days. Chad, the the big news today through Greg Sankey, uh, SEC commissioner, most powerful dude in, in college sports. Um, I, among the NIL, he wants Congress to step up and do something. The fact that he's doing that and saying that yet again is it means nothing's actually happening, and I'm not anticipating that to happen anytime soon. Neither is he. That's why he's saying it publicly at the podium with the litany of reporters that were in the room for the State of the Union of the SEC in college football because everyone now moving forward for their own media days will react to the tone and tenor of what Greg Sankey has put forth. The the other thing, though, uh, that is of note, he doesn't see the SEC expanding past 16 anytime soon. In fact, it, he mentions that other decisions and other conferences need to be made by them to determine our 
our path. But he, he believes they're fine where they are. They add Texas and Oklahoma a year from now. And he did mention super conference, but he referred to his own group as a super conference, his own conference. I believe him in that. I don't know, you know, the, the layout of the power five, five years from now, let alone, maybe it's two years from now. But I do think the relationship between he and Tony Patetti, the new commissioner of the Big Ten, is crucial in whatever happens moving forward because as a tandem, they could create practically whatever they want to as far as regulation as a super conference for football. And he's also pushing for an expanded college basketball tournament as well. You buy that? And I think a big part of this is the grant of rights with the ACC. That certainly plays a factor. Yeah. Um, new athletic director at Notre Dame loves the independent status of the athletic program. That's not going anywhere. So uh, I'm not shocked that he's saying this for another season. I do think they eventually add more teams. The question is when, based on the ACC, grant of rights, ESPN, the buyout with the ACC, and how all of this comes about. Because they did speed up the process for Texas and Oklahoma with the Big 12. Yeah, and it's it's crazy to me that two conferences in the Big Ten and the SEC that seem to be otherwise ruthless in how they conduct their business and how they get things done are both being very merciful when it comes to the rest of college sports right now. Because I really believe that either one could add anyone they wanted if they aggressively pursued it and wanted to make it happen to jump in line in front of the other conference before they get those more desirable programs in their conference. But it does seem that both are content to sit back and not completely upset the apple cart of college sports. But And not knock it off its axis totally and destroy another league. I think part of the whole thing is when the new... The, the, both, both leagues, SEC and Big Ten, are going into new television contracts. I think that plays a huge part in the timetable of it. Because when contracts will be you know, up for renewal, I think that's when it presses forward. Also, I, I, I think they're hesitant to jump in and make their own regulations for name, image, likeness in the portal because no one's going to agree on it based on state laws, not federal laws. There are no federal guidelines for this. And if it's state by state and Texas and Texas A&M, they're, they're following a certain rule, regulation, and law structure compared to other states, well... Why would they stop doing that and, and sign and join something that's going to benefit everyone when right now they can do literally whatever they want to and pay whoever they want to, regardless of what the NCAA is saying and how the money will be funneled? So I, I think that plays a fact. I think they're, they're a lot like the NCAA and they don't want to be in court and they don't want to battle state legislatures who are coming up with laws and a structure, but not really enforcing anything or any policy when it comes to what they're trying to accomplish, which is more of a uniform guideline process, not eliminating anything, just having a structure that state by state, everyone's in on. And I, I think that's extremely difficult to do right now. Yeah. If you could have federal government legislate it where they are administering and guiding the laws of these programs and schools and what they do, that makes it very simple on big college sports to know what to do. Because if you're running afoul of the law and you get caught, you're running afoul of the law. And then everyone is abiding by the same concept 
in the same law, and it makes it easier to, to legislate their sports. Quickly, though, on the, the TV deals yes. you mentioned, the SEC is in an awkward spot right now because they are married to ESPN in every way. You got Bob Iger talking about selling the company, spinning it off and selling it to someone else. Well, selling a percentage. Stake. Yeah, you've got, you've got, well, but also spinning it away from Disney into its own entity. Um, but they're also talking about ABC, all the, the linear television channels that Disney owns is not a core part of the business Maybe anymore. Maybe the sovereign wealth fund. Could be. Could be the, yeah, the, the, the private investment fund comes in. Um, but if they get sold, layoffs are happening at ESPN. I just think when the Big Ten made their move and they really diversified their television portfolio, CBS, Fox, the game on NBC now, we were really comparing it to, okay, what's better, that or the ESPN and SEC network basically being the SEC network and carrying basketball games, football games year-round. You know exactly where to go find – Yeah. SEC games, it's on the networks of of ESPN. But now I look at ESPN and the business model a little bit more in trouble because of cord cutting and all of the money they've been spending in rights to leagues like the SEC. And I just, it's something to, it's not anything to get overly concerned about right now. But if I'm a fan of the Big Ten, I'm liking the health and the future of their media partnerships better than the SEC's right now. And I did not think I would say that when all of this happened. Well, when can, when they decided to everywhere. go all in on, on Disney, a- ABC, ESPN with SEC, I, I thought they probably had a bit of an advantage doing that. And now I'm not so sure. I still think that you want to be on the ESPNs in every other season that's not football. I think not having you know college basket Big Ten college basketball games on yeah. ESPN. I think that's a problem. I think that's where it becomes an issue for for that conference. Chad, I was out on on Friday. Uh, a shout out to Armando Salguero for filling in. Always great to have him a part of the show. Uh, but news came down just before you guys went live about uh, the the NCA finally you know deciding what they wanted to do. Uh, Eight million dollar fine for the University of Tennessee. Uh, for rules violations, but the hammer came down on Jeremy Pruitt and, and others for show cause. What is a six-year six-year show? show cause? And what? Uh, I think it's like it's weird. It's a six-year show cause, but it's like a year and a half that no one can hire him. Like it's not even a show cause part of it. It's a yeah. year and a, a year, a year and a half, and then anyway, he he got hammered. What did you make of the details that came out about that, and and from Pruitt's end of it as well? It was just really, really dumb. The, the whole operation, just brazenly stupid with what they were joking about around the facility, with what they were texting people. Just really stupid. If you're going to go about paying players and, and cheating that way, you need to be a little bit more quiet about it. And, and him and his staff, this probably surprises no one if you've heard Jeremy Pruitt speak or if you're looking at this photo right now of whatever this is he was wearing during COVID, uh, that he comes across really stupid. Maybe one of the dumber things that he argued in the NCAA investigation and while being interviewed was that because the death of George Floyd and others and social justice, that's what compelled him uh, to give someone $300 in a Chick-fil-A bag. It was a mom, I think. A mom, yeah, because he felt bad being a white man and felt like he needed to pay this player's mom. It's funny how you know he only... He only approached uh, African-Americans who can play football really good and gave them money. He wasn't just going, oh. you know, to uh, pl- uh, 
to inner city Knoxville and handing out bags of cash to just anyone. It was just the players he really wanted to play football uh, for him. He, he apparently were, he was paying players on visits that didn't even end up going to play for Tennessee. Well, it was a kind of it was a paid visit scheme. Like he was paying them to visit. Darnell Washington to go on an official visit. Named. We'll pay you to go on an official visit to come to Tennessee. Um, yeah, I mean, just really dumb. But to use that as an excuse. That's ridiculous. That, hey, you know, as a white man, I, I was uncomfortable, so I decided to give them cash. And uh, come on, just dumb. You, you just well, wanted, you wanted to get the best possible players, and you went about it in a dumb way. And, and, and bringing up George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, uh, Breonna Taylor, and their yeah. murders as, uh, you know, a reason why you're handing out in the, the cloak of uh, a Chick-fil-A bag. Yeah. Uh, but then, $300 again, cash. He, he didn't go to the, the families of those uh, people and give them money. He felt so bad about that that yeah. he stuffed cash into a fast food bag and gave it to the mother of a five-star player. That's how he decided to handle social justice. Did they land uh, that in player? his own way? Do we? Know? I, I don't. I don't know specifically what which player that was, so I'm not sure. Now here's the big picture thing for Tennessee. Um, they got off pretty easy when this is all said and done, only because they've already docked themselves 16 scholarships. They'll have two more taken out this year. So now they just have to add 10 more it over five years. It is the biggest years. fine they've ever levied, though. That part of it, that's a lot of money. I mean, people are like, well, it's the SEC. What, $8 million is a lot of money for any athletic department to fork over. Now, the NCAA's argument was interesting, Hutton, because they said the $8 million is what you made from the Music City Bowl and the Orange Bowl the last two years. So what we are doing is okay. taking your bowl money and we're repurposing it because – that that's basically your bowl band. You got to play in those games, but now you got to fork over that money uh, to us. So whatever that that part of it's interesting. Um, but now that it's there's closure to it, that's going to help Tennessee. And really, what you're looking at is probably 82 or 83 players officially on scholarship, and not 85 for the next five years. That that's how they'll make those scholarships up because it's over a five year period. And it, it it's yet again an example of how the NCAA. They drag their feet when they want to on investigations and how long this takes. This was incredibly lengthy, considering this has been, you know, done for a while as far as the interviews and all the information they could come up with. Well, and, and there was a lot of it. Another thing to keep in mind: those scholarship losses aren't going to be scholarship losses because Tennessee, with their NIL program, if they want an in-state kid to be a preferred walk-on, they'll, pay, they'll pay. They'll pay their way. You know, I, I mentioned this the other day, but Josiah Jordan James is a starter for Tennessee basketball and a fifth-year senior. He was a walk-on coming back for this year because they were out of scholarships. Yeah. Well, he's a walk-on in title only because NIL is paying his way to go to Tennessee. Now a scholarship opened up for him, but point being, if Tennessee or any school wanted to go to some guys in state or wherever and say, "We got you." Through our NIL program, We're take care of you. You're going to be a preferred walk-on in title only. Also, but what you're, car do you want? You're going to be on a full ride. Yeah, they can easily do that at the back end of their roster. I'm also curious. Uh, what did Georgia pay Darnell Washington? Well, and there's the other thing. What What did Jeremy Pruitt do at Georgia and Alabama? I mean, do we think that he just got to Tennessee and and this is the first time that he ever paid anybody or ever knew about payments to someone? So maybe he's just that dumb. And the moment he got in charge, he just went willy-nilly and started doing all these crazy things. But I doubt it. I do, too. He learned this somewhere. I mean, he's look at the places he's coached. Georgia, Florida State, 
Alabama. Although you would think he would be much more buttoned up in his approach of doing this if it if this were happening behind the scenes and he was the money guy. I think at Alabama, he, he had just, his money he guy. shut up and listened to Daddy Nick. Yeah. And, and Coach Saban could tell him to be quiet. And he would just do his job and recruit, re- recruit uh, and, and coach the defense. And that's all he did. And he never stepped out of line because it was Nick Saban. And he would be foolish to step out, out of line with him. Chad, coming up, we'll uh, dive into DeAndre Hopkins' his decision to sign with the Tennessee Titans instead of the New England Patriots. Reportedly, the Chiefs were getting involved in, in the last minute. And, and the discussion of the Bills and the Chiefs as being reportedly in on a possible trade, they were the two teams being mentioned. And they're not heavily involved in up in the ante on what was a very team-friendly contract that the 31-year-old ends up signing with the Titans to play in the AFC South. When we return, Billy Lucci, the co-owner of TexAgs.com, all things Texas A&M, speaking of boatloads of cash and name, image, likeness, and collectives. But the headlines about Jimbo Fisher and the fact he won't admit that Bobby Petrino's calling plays. That's next. Coming up in about 40 minutes, Jordan Schultz will join us as the deadline for the franchise tag is happening today across the NFL. Have the very latest there with the top running backs who were placed under the franchise tag and where we go from here on all of the news in that area and more. Looking forward to that. Plus, uh, Clark Lee, head coach of the Vanderbilt Commodores, will swing by our broadcast spots. Hutt, no one can SEC see this, Radio what we're seeing right now in the studio, but there is a photo of Jeremy Pruitt. That's one of the <laughs> funniest photos ever. Uh, that's up there that our, our team uh, put you together. You probably see it now. I don't know. And I'm uh, I'm just looking at it during the break and cannot stop laughing every time I glance. I need to not glance at the monitor in that direction because I want to laugh every time I see this photo right here of Jeremy Pruitt talking with Kirby Smart. Yeah, uh, very anti-guidelines for COVID. Well, just the, like, the, the hands on the hips, everything about the posture yeah. with that is incredible. He also uh, Chef's kiss. reportedly hated wearing orange. At least that was always the rumor. Yeah. What? So I don't know if this is rumor or uh, or fact. Uh, Jimbo Fisher apparently wouldn't say who's calling plays this year at at A and M today. So this is from Brett McMurphy. Texas A and M's Jimbo Fisher would not answer if offensive coordinator Bobby Petrino will call plays. Quote. I'm not going to get into that. Bobby was hired for a reason. Tremendous guy. Tremendous football <laughs> mind. Hopefully he'll call the game and have a few suggestions. Then he was pressed and asked again, and Jimbo Fisher said, I'm not going to get into what we're doing from a schematic viewpoint. Okay, well, maybe that's all it is. Uh, hired for a reason. I'm assuming that's to to call plays and run an offense, but the guy that will know is Billy Lucci, uh, the owner of TexAgs.com. Always dapper for this week. Um, uh, hopefully, uh, Billy's at the, uh, the, the party coming up on Wednesday here at 6th and Peabody. Billy, hope things are well, man. Yeah, Great to be on with you guys. Um, looking forward to winning. I'm in the process of changing my flight. Good. Okay? Good. I've been you on tri- be one trip, two trips. I, I did Mexico, Colorado, now this. I'm, I'm tired. I'm old. But, you know, once I saw the, the party and the, that Clay and you guys were putting it on, I'm like, I immediately I booked the room. 
I've, I've scouted my flight back. I, I, as long as I can go first, leave early in the morning Thursday, I'm in. So we, and it's only because of y'all. Well, I, I like Nashville, but I've done my. We'll, we'll change the party to tomorrow night I, if that's needed. So let's just let us know. I, I, I too was at Blink One Eighty Two last night, Billy. I wish I would have seen you I there. Heard. It you, was uh, you couldn't an awesome see him time. there. He was backstage. Yeah, uh, you were on it stage was, with him at one point, I think. Right? I think you played drums with Travis Barker. Yeah, Barker at one point. needed a rest, so I just started. <laughs> um, bah, 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 bah. What is, so yeah. you have, you have a connection with practically that. anyone uh, uh, that's connected to anything. What's your connection to Blink One Eighty Two? You know, it's funny. My good friend now of like 10 years plus uh, is on Tex Ags as stage left ag, and he just heard us talking about music. He said, hey, you know, I work for Journey, Lionel Richie. He, <laughs> he's their sound. You know, he's a stage left, hence the name. And uh, we've just he's one of my best friends in the world, has been for a while now. But he, he does the uh, works for a big company here now in Nashville, uh, where they basically do the sound for all these mega acts for for you know the the sound for their tours. They run the whole tour, uh, and everyone from I think like I'm making up names here, but like you know Adele, Chris Stapleton, all the way the whole gamut. And uh, I guess it's kind of like an agency, uh, for lack of a better word, where you you, you represent Petrino, you represent Jimbo, you represent Nick Saban, Brian, K- whatever, and and. This tour, he, I think he was the head guy on it for Blink. And, and it just so happened that the last show was last night in Nashville while we were here for SEC, so it was an easy fit. Just briefly, how, how crazy was the after party behind the scenes? I, did, I was not invited to that. I was in bed by midnight, I'm and shocked. I wasn't complaining about it. Billy Lucci with us. I don't uh, know. I mean, oh, oh, go ahead. that would have been good. Yeah, oh, I, no, I'm saying now, that you, now you're making me feel like I missed something. Well, you should feel that way. You're the one with access. TexAx.com is where you can get the very latest access to all things behind the scenes with uh, Texas A&M. So what's, what's the real story of who's calling plays, and should there be any controversy or any, any doubt if it's Jimbo or if it's, uh, you know, anyone else for that matter because he refu- the head coach refuses to say? I, and I don't know why. I, I get – Sometimes I sit there in the media, and, and I guess it's like living with the, the players when I was in college and then the friendships I've got and dealing with coaches. I understand. Uh, sometimes I'm in this weird middle world where I get the media side of it. We're like, well, we're just trying to get an answer, but I also get the coaches' side of it where they're going, hey, look, I'm not telling y'all just because you keep asking two, three, five times. I've, and I think if you go back, Jimbo's already kind of said he's. I know he said he'd be willing to visit, giving up play calling duties. I know he said, you know, before anyone, you know, people didn't think he'd hire a coordinator. He went and did it. Then people said, well, why is it Petrino? Why is why? It's one thing after another, and I think he's just kind of for whatever reason, and I don't, I don't know exactly the reason, is just not going to say. And maybe it's a, maybe it's a. Hey, I don't want to sit here and say, hey, I'm giving it up. I think it would help for him to just to say that, just to get the question to stop being asked. But he might not really care. He might be like, I know what I'm doing. I don't, it doesn't matter if I answer this or not. Uh, I'm just telling you from what I know, I'm firmly convinced that Bobby Petrino will be calling plays. And I think Jimbo's just careful to, you know, the offense is his baby. It's going to continue to be. 
like Greg McElroy said today, he didn't forget how to coach. Uh, coaches typically don't. I think he is embracing bringing on a coach like Petrino with his experience and, and Jimbo with his experience against Bobby. And the same thing, by the way, with Jim Chaney. you got to remember they hired an analyst, too, now that's been to OC at, what, Georgia, Tennessee, Arkansas, Purdue. Uh, they've got James Coley on staff who's been to OC at Miami, Georgia. All of a sudden, there's a wealth of experience and, and, and knowledge on this staff. And is Jimbo going to just recuse himself from offensive meetings? Absolutely not. He's going to be in there and heavily involved. I just think on game day, and I don't think I'm 100% certain, you know, Bobby's going to be calling plays. I think the bigger question is not, is Petrino calling plays? It's like, when it's third and four and they're up seven at Miami in September or at home against Auburn, you know, a couple weeks later, and it's third and four and, and Petrino thinks there's an opportunity to take a shot down the field and, and Jimbo wants to, you know, thinks the running game's going. Yeah, like who who wins that decision? Uh, that to me is the bigger question. And this whole thing about, oh, it'll free Jimbo up to recruit and manage the day-to-day in the program. He was already doing all that anyway. What it frees him up to do, I think, is on game day, instead of being so ensconced and in, in, in preoccupied and just kind of overwhelmed, maybe even at times, by what's the next play, what's the next series going to be. If he needs to go talk to his O-line, he can do that. If he needs to go ask the D.C., why do we keep running three-man front when they're gashing us on the ground, he can do that. If he needs to go talk to his quarterback or an individual player, he can do all of that without being caught up in that playbook and trying to figure out when we get the ball back in another couple plays, ideally, what are we going to do? And I think that's where you'll see uh, one of the biggest differences. But I've already seen it, guys, in his demeanor when we talk, when we just off the record are talking about football. There's a different level of, of excitement and enthusiasm. And I think that's the one thing nobody is factoring in is like, hey, and I'm not, I'm not saying he's doing any favors with kind of the non-answers to the questions, but no one's really, you know, even bothered to think about what if he really likes this hire and he's pretty damn excited about it. And, and I do think that's actually the case. Billy, the final year of divisions in the SEC, final year of the SEC West, and if I had to pick a, a sleeper team that could contend in the West, I, I'm picking A&M because I think people have fallen asleep a bit based on how bad it was a season ago, and you forget mm-hmm. the level of talent that's still on that roster, but a lot of that has to do with Connor Wigman and, and how good he's going to be yeah. this year. Uh, do you like that pick by me, that this could be a team that is a big-time sleeper? Yeah, because I think their ceiling's pretty darn high. I don't know that they'll get to it. I think getting to it and finishing eight and four is a matter of, you know, a few fourth quarter, like, is it two fourth quarter drives? It could go either way. So, but man, I think Wigman has slept on. I think they've got a great QB situation in general with Connor and Max Johnson. No matter what, I think they're going to have a really nice one, too. I think Connor has to win the job in August. I, I, if you made me pick today, I think he will. But I think in the spring they were pretty equal. Uh, man, I, I think by the end of the season, Connor Wigman can be one of those guys that people say he. We didn't talk about him nearly enough this off season. He finished. You know, last time we saw him, 
He's beaten LSU, and I know A-Chain carried the load, literally carried the load, carried it 38 times. Connor played really well in that game. He made some great throws early, some great scrambles that, that were underrated. You know, here's a third and eight. He outruns Harold Perkins to the sticks. No turnovers and through some of those passes late where he wasn't scared to let his receivers go up and make plays. That's the last time we saw him. Eight touchdowns, no picks, and four games as a starter last year, and I think he's just scratching the surface. But the talent is there. We know that. They lost maybe two, three guys in the portal that were even going to contribute this year. Think about that. For all those numbers everybody wanted to throw out, they made a big deal when they lost a guy that started at center last year, and he did he, he did an admirable job. But when he left, he was a third-string center. Like, they didn't lose a lot that was going to affect 2023 A&M football. The talent is there. A ton of it is now going into from year one to year two, which you guys know what a jump that can be. Sure. So I think the key will be September because I think no matter – I can't imagine A&M blowing out Miami – Auburn even, even early in Hugh Freeze, and Arkansas. Can't imagine them blowing out any of those three. But I could certainly see them winning those three games close. They won two They they won two of the three last year close, lost one close in what was the worst year in A&M football. Uh, it's like the second worst year in the last 30. And they were 2-1 and one in those three games. They can go 3-0. and oh. It's not going to be easy. And A&M will have to start the year playing good football. And if they do that, then they could be having kind of that breakthrough year you talked about. Got a couple minutes left here. I'm going to get your thought. Billy Lucci with us, uh, co-owner of TexAgs.com, one of the top college sites out there, period. Uh, Greg Sankey, his address, focused a lot on name, image, likeness. He, he points out state legislators that are, that are banning any type of regulation on name, image, likeness. I, I'm, I'm sure Texas is top of mind for many people. What, what, do you, what did you make of, of Sankey's comments? And, I mean, ultimately, does it even matter? I just don't think it matters. I respect the hell out of Greg Sankey and the job he's done in this conference. Um, I think the athletic director's jobs are next to impossible right now across the not only the conference but the country and dealing with, you know, these legitimate fundraising arms that now have popped up, like, say, for Texas A&M, the 12th Man Foundation, uh, to go, you've got the IRS legislation, you've got state law, and you're trying to kind of sit here and navigate through all that. And it feels like, I think, to all parties, it changes every single day. Yeah, I would love some guardrails and regulation, too, um, just to see. Just I think it would be so much better for the game. I just think we're so far past that that it doesn't even matter. I don't think it's – I don't really think it's possible at this point to get it right. I just don't – I've lost all faith that they can rein anything in when it comes to NIL and, and do it the right way. And I think if they over – if they over-pursue regulation and constraints, then you have, I think, an even bigger issue because then what's going to happen where you're going to start punishing – they're going to punish a, a Miami or a Tennessee or a Texas or A&M or LSU and then not do anything to Bama or Florida or Georgia. It's so inconsistent already in terms of the, the punishment. And, and you look, you saw what happened with Tennessee. You saw what happened with LSU, these wrist slaps. But then the NCAA will come down super hard on programs for doing, like, you know, something really small. 
I think uh, the more they try to regulate, the, the, the more inconsistent everything's going to be. I think it's too late. I think they had guys, what, 15 years from when this whole Ed O'Bannon yeah. stuff started, and, and they didn't do a damn thing. They sat there. It's like a hurricane was coming. You know, tornado is one thing, right? That just happens. A hurricane, if you're living on one of these, you know, Gulf cities where we, we all are familiar in this conference. I'm from, I sat there, you know, I'm 30 minutes from Galveston. And you know this massive hurricane's coming. And you got days to say, you know what, we're going to get in the car, we're getting on a plane, we're going to get out of here. And you don't do it and you say, I'm going to sit on this water and ride it out. That's essentially what the NCAA did. They just waited and waited and waited and thought that the hurricane was going to veer off and not hit them. And then you go, oh, huh. So to me, the problem is there's no riding this one out. It's going to sure and die out. It's just going to sit there, and they've created this massive, massive problem that I think has a chance to really uh, – do irreparable damage to the college game. We'll see. And that's coming from somebody that we're active in NIL, uh, kind of a crowdsource thing, and, and we get content out of it. The athletes get the practice of doing, uh, you know, kind of one-on-one long-form interviews. They come in. I just don't – and I love athletes getting paid. I think they should. I just hate the way it's so different from state to state, school to school, conference to conference. It's just, and I'm saying that as A&M being one of the, one of the winners in NIL, let's say. You know, one of the programs that, that has the infrastructure, has the support. There's a lot of them that do, but mo- most of them don't have it to the level of, say, an A&M or Texas or Bama. I still don't like it. I don't like the, the lack of uniformity, but I don't know. The government's going to bring uniformity no, and that's trust not gonna to happen. something? You're Come right. On. Billy Lucci, yeah. the co-owner of TexAx.com. Maybe we'll see you at dinner if we are. That means we're having a nice dinner tonight. And we'll definitely see you tomorrow morning uh, and, and join you on Radio Row. Thanks, Appreciate Billy. you, man. Sounds great, guys. Thank you all yeah, always. Man. We'll see you this week. Yeah, man. See uh, cheers to you. Coming up, uh, there's cheap and then there's Oakland A's cheap, which we know, but we'll tell you how bad it is. That's next on Hot Mike. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Chad, uh, Blink 182 crushed it last night. I was going to ask Just, you about uh, that. Quickly in there, quick quick aside, because Billy was talking about it also. I did not get to go backstage, but I was up very close for that concert. And it was took me right back to my uh, uh, late teen, early 20s. Those guys have not changed a bit with the sense of humor, with, with everything about them. Really, really good show. I like this thing they did, too, Hutton, where they said, all right, this is the last song, last song, I promise. And then they play it and then said, okay, we left the stage and came right back, and they just keep playing. So they acted like it was an encore. You know, They were going to say goodnight before, and then once they finished, the, this is the last song, I promise. All right, guys, and thank you and goodnight, and we're right back, and let's go. And they just start jamming out to another hit after that, which was their encore, um, which was good. Shout out Reno. Did you? Uh, how many drugs did you see? Throughout the night, in that Reno, Reno gets it in done. the arena. Um, I saw at least two sets of drugs uh, in my vicinity. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean it was a it was a lively crowd. And it's it's one of those tickets. that I'm like, I mean, people were getting after it on a Sunday night, but I mean, when you take the stage at nine thirty 
on a Sunday night. And I'm here to tell you, Blink-182's uh, initial crowd of fans is not the youngest anymore. That's a tough, that doesn't uh, surprise me. It's a tough draw, but everybody seemed to be having a good time. No, How old are no they No one now? was wanting to leave. Oh, they're mid-40s? 40s, 50s? I'd say, yeah, mid-late 40s. Yeah, that, I mean, that does make you feel old. Me too. Now you've got me curious as to the exact ages of these guys. But they live up to the hype. That's great. Yeah, they were really good. There are a lot of bands, in my opinion, from that era that don't perform very well live. Travis Barker's 47, the the drummer. He is uh, amazing, you know, world-renowned drummer. Uh, What I like about a band like that, it's three dudes. That's a lot of noise coming out of three guys, right? It's drummer, two guitars, and the two guys playing guitar also, like, trade lead singing back and forth. So that's a cool mix. Chad, we've – Davey Hudson's over at SEC Media Days for us this week, but you better believe we still have Let's Get Weird. And five, four, three, two, one, zero, talking now. Have you seen the, let's start with uh, the, the guys that will throw in like a massive, uh, they'll, they'll have a big magnet that they just throw into a river or a lake and just drag it and see what they come up with. No. And in, in some cases, they'll find like, I don't know if it's live, but dynamite that's packaged around metal that they'll pull up and have to call. I've not seen this, but now it's happened multiple times. Uh, Most recently, a a story out there that a a man has uh, (laughs) caught a, a, a stolen truck, a Jeep from 1990 while he was fishing. He ended up catching this Jeep instead of any big fish. I wonder what he thought he had on the line, but he ends up finding the Jeep that was stolen back in 1990. That is, uh, that, is, that is next level. Catching a stolen Jeep from 1990 while fishing is uh, certainly weird. I, I, you've, now you've got me wanting to go down a YouTube wormhole of this, Hutton, of watching people drag things to the bottom of lakes or rivers with magnets. It looks like, have you seen the movie Fried Green Tomatoes? <laughs> it looks, I know you have. Not a question I was I've expecting it, on the show it. today, but yes, I have. It looks like the vehicle, the old vehicle, as they pull it out of the lake, yeah. you know, to hide it. I mean, it's... It looks very old compared to probably what it looked like when it was thrown in. I don't know how you hide that for that long. No. But I'm glad someone found it. Yeah, he goes, I could see the tires, the roll bars, steering wheel, shifter. And I thought, oh, dang, I knew right away it was a Jeep. And I was like, holy crap, I'm kind of excited about this. He was, uh, I mean, it, it, to take it to the next level, though, to be someone who does this, right? To like, the, the, the someone thinks, like, this is what I'm going to do now. I'd like to watch it, but I can't imagine well, putting forth the effort to be the one who does this. But he was out uh, fishing. He, he, there were fish on it as he pulled it out, and he went ahead and caught all those fish before taking care of the Jeep. I don't blame him for that either. Well done. Um, I don't know how you can... A lot of county jails don't have the full-on metal detectors now when you're coming to visit or you know, you're having to do the strip search. There was a guy who had live ammunition tucked beneath his testicles. They found a bullet. And I don't know why you would think to put it there because they're automatically going to make you bend over and, and cough. And then the next thing is, uh, well, that's the next obvious part if you think someone's not going to search it. They're automatically going to do that to you uh, in, in prison, jail, whatever, especially for these places that don't have the, the metal detectors because the county just doesn't pay for it or it's so small time 
that uh, their county jail, my hometown, they've got probably you know 150 beds in the county jail. Yeah, I'm picturing the jail from Rambo: First Blood. <laughs> you know where he's like yeah. he's he's harassed by the local cops, and he you know they strip him and they hit him with the hose and all that. That that's the type of jail I'm I'm picturing in my mind when I think about someone trying to sneak bullets under testicles into the jail. That I'm not I'm not thinking about a max security prison that this happening in, but some local jail. I mean, it, it was a 22 caliber uh, bullet. I, I'm thinking to myself, though, is there already a gun there? Like, what do you need the bullet for? Are you making was, some type of drug with the gunpowder? I don't know what you're sneaking that in for unless... You know, it, here locally, there was a guy that was working behind the scenes on a construction of a new uh, jail slash prison here. And he was going, he, he was caught, thankfully. But in the construction, he hid items for inmates to find during the building of the structure. Jail? Wow. And everything from, but hiding like, like guns, like a scavenger bullets, hunt. Uh, it's all, like an illicit scavenger hunt. Shanks, uh, a machete, I think, at one point, like a lot of different things. Uh, a drill. <laughs> Hutton, uh, since you went with Fried Green Tomatoes, a 90s movie, I'm going to go with another one. Uh, In the Line of Fire. Did you ever see that with uh, Clint Eastwood? A uh, long, Malkovich. long time ago, but so yes. So John Malkovich is setting out to kill the president, and uh, Clint Eastwood plays a Secret Service agent. And if you remember in that movie, John Malkovich, his character constructed a wooden gun. I remember that he was like uh, shooting, he was like shooting ducks with it or something to test it out, to get through a metal detector. It was a wooden gun, but I don't remember what the bullets were in it. I was just thinking about that, about bullets triggering a metal detector. And I'm thinking, well, what did he use for bullets in the wooden gun? So maybe someone in the YouTube chat that uh, is more familiar with that film can tell me. That's, that's the one part that triggered in my memory, that wooden gun and how it wouldn't trigger the metal detector. But I'm not sure what the bullets consisted of. Philly's right fielder, Nick Castellanos. Um in answering a question about his favorite superhero, he says, Scooby-Doo. <laughs> How does that pop up in your head for superhero? Um, also, not a superhero, right? I'm like, I, no. I, don't, I don't know how to define no. the, uh, yeah. But, I mean, Scooby-Doo did solve crimes. You know, he had, the Scooby-Doo and his, sure. his, his, his pack of friends were really good at, you know, stumbling into yeah. Different capers and crimes, so but maybe that was a superhero like quality. I mean, right? You know, that's normal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, is that a superpower? Don't think so. It was, it was this like one of those rapid fire? I'm, I'm guessing it's like uh, you know you got to answer you know ten questions well, in ten seconds. Well, he's doing something for the uh, SPCA, I believe. Okay. Uh, for uh, apparel for uh, to help out, you know, uh, pet adoption and, and different things. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how you come up with this other than it's planted, but it makes you look stupid. Hutton, do you have a favorite superhero? Um, I'm not really into the, I would say Batman based on what I grew up watching. Yeah. The Batman movies. I'm definitely, uh, a Batman supporter. I, I like, uh, I like actual humans that like have gadgets and different things that make them superheroes. Not like a, you know, a Superman type alien power. Yeah. Iron Man, I'm a fan of Iron Man for that reason. Uh, yeah, Tony I'm, Stark just a really smart those rich guy. Those movies were great. Yeah. Bruce Wayne just a really smart rich guy. I mean, his superpower was wealth if you really think about it. <laughs> Both those guys and I super think intellect. Like, I I 
I want to say I'm not a fan of those type of movies. I think the problem is um, it, everyone's remaking them every other year. Like, I'm just tired yeah. of seeing the same series over and over and over again. Well, it's now also... But, it's like, this, everyone's it's this, going to watch it or they wouldn't make it. It's this... Well, that's it's starting to not happen also. The Flash bombed. Um, no, but if they make another Spider-Man, people will go watch it. Yeah, the Batman, Batman people, the Batman did well. I don't, I don't know if they're doing a sequel to that when they brought it back. I actually thought that was pretty well done, and I was skeptical going into it. Um, the problem now is also that it's it, nothing... It feels like there's no stakes anymore there's like multiversal stories so yeah, you're like putting these that. warps into like different universes of times and everything so they can bring back like michael keaton as batman in this in this flash movie so they're like going into different alternate realities i think there's a scene where ben affleck and um and uh, michael keaton are playing batman in like some different universe and it's just when you do that there's no i, I you can't get into the story because what what matters like if everything's just gonna you know flow into a different universe in a different time, then nothing nothing really matters. It's all like a, a dream. I'm where, not a big fan. Where were you on Spider Man? I like the Tobey Maguire Spider Man movies. I really did. I never got um, into Spider Man. But at I'm all. not I'm not a big Spider Man guy. I don't know that I've seen the Tom Holland Spider Man movies, the more recent ones. I think I've seen I know I've seen him in one of the Avengers movies. Or one of those Marvel movies, but I've not watched. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not a big Spider-Man guy. What's the last cartoon you watched that you were into? Because Chad hates animation. Beavis and Butthead. 1994. I mean, I, I watched Beavis and Butthead when I was like in middle school. That's probably the last cartoon I've watched. See, we would all sneak. We would watch. We would sneak in to watch Beavis and Butthead and South Park. We would try to sneak that around. Plus WWF at the time. Watch Stone Cold flip people off. Oh, you like was, on TV? You're yeah, saying like, you yeah, would, we would yeah. try to watch that, and then you know it came on at like eight o'clock or whatever. But then undressed on MTV. That was the other one. My parents weren't great about um, monitoring my media intake. I just don't think they cared. Is that because you're the youngest? Have I ever told the story about how my parents one time just popped in Fatal Attraction when I was like seven or eight years old for us to watch on family movie night? They didn't turn it. Turn it off the way. I don't uh, think they understood ratings systems, and they'd like put in an R-rated movie, and then that movie got really bad really quick and very sexually explicit, and they just sent me to my room. They, uh, and I'm like, you just showed much, an eight-year-old fatal it attraction. It was much better than my experience with my grandmother watching uh, Jerry Maguire in the opening scene. Oh yeah, yeah. We have discussed that before. I knew to get up and use the bathroom. I'd seen it before without my parents, and I knew it was going to be a hard cut to the scene we're talking about in Jerry Maguire early in the film. Yeah. And I would make sure to go to the bathroom during that part and just magically come back when everything was over. Yeah, there's a early on. I can like a, hear in the other room in a massive sex scene. Them talking too when they're nude, talking to each other, <laughs> and they're just like eating uh, breakfast food. <laughs> and I can hear them talking when they got done talking. That's when I knew it was clear to walk back into the room with my parents. The Oakland A's are extremely cheap. How cheap? They didn't even send their mascot to Seattle for the All Star game. I would say the fact that they still have a mascot for 2000 to 5000 sometimes you know 25000 for the reverse boycott I'm shocked they even employ a mascot right now. Yeah, go you know don't go half measure here, go full measure and and fire the mascot. Why would you have a mascot? That that if you really want to get as cheap as they need to be and they have been, just don't have a mascot. 
What is the I, Oakland A's mascot also? <laughs> Do we know? Isn't it the elephant? I what think? is it? Is it an elephant? Yeah, it's oh. the elephant wearing the, the oh, A's Oh, that's right. Stuff, yeah, right? That, that makes sense now. But I, I don't when know. When I was watching Ricky Henderson in the A's years ago, I feel like I saw that elephant at some point. You think there are that many children that are looking forward to seeing the mascot in an A's game? I hate mascots uh, of all kinds, so I'm not the one to ask. I don't know that I ever liked a mascot when I was a child either. I'm just not a fan. I wish this dude or whoever's inside the, uh, the mascot would just paid his own way and gone to Seattle. When you do shows with a, any microphone in front of you and you're doing something and there's a mascot around oh. for a sporting event, yeah. it is like catnip for that mascot. It doesn't have to be the mascot of a cat. They come up to you. They mess with you. It's like you're trying to, you know, they're miming stuff at you, and it's so utterly annoying. I cannot stand it. Today was the deadline for any player trying to negotiate an extension that's under the franchise tag for this coming season in the NFL to get that done. The top running backs in this category, they didn't get it done. Saquon Barkley is not happy. Jordan Schultz gives us the details of all the NFL news next.